This is Talk is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Well, my friend, here we are. Um, we are going to chat with uh, Dr. Sam Cunningham, but uh, most importantly, have you killed anything yet this year? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I have not. We're working on it. Working on cool. it slowly but surely. I'm f- failing, failing as a so. Hunter. Your daughter has a elk draw, right? Does she? Is she still doing yeah, hunting, or is she done? No, she's got. Uh, it it runs right through to February. Um, okay, but it's it's private land, local to Prince George, so we're just working on that. And no, it's I didn't get that tag. No one I had uh, private land. I was supposed to be buying private land and. Uh, switched houses so i'm not one of those guys greg we're really disappointed that you get this elusive tag which is not elusive but you get this tag and then you don't have anywhere to hunt come on buddy it's like you oh, honestly got, you, uh, you have to invest that million dollars so you could buy that property right <laughs> yeah yeah i've got some angry angry people at me so <laughs> what what your daughter namely no 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 we <laughs> Some locals around Prince George have been en- entering for that tag for a long time and uh, uh, not getting it. <laughs> it's, right. It's like, oh, she's 11. She deserves it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. The vagaries of our uh, LEH system in British Columbia, right? So, you know, people whine to me and that's exactly why, right? I've been applying for 55 years and she gets it on her first year. So anyway, uh, good honor. It's a lottery, man. You know, buy a lottery ticket a hundred times or buy it one time. You still have the, yeah, it doesn't mean you're going to win because you buy them a hundred times. So yeah, fair. Cool. All right. And then uh, how about Connor? What's going on with him? Is he hunting mule deer this year or what's the plan there? He's hunting mule deer, moose. He's currently out as we speak with grandpa chasing uh, immatures, mule deer, whitetail and grouse. What are we doing wrong, buddy? Your kid's out chasing animals and here we are doing a anyway whatever yep yeah well i i don't know that's <laughs> your guess is as good as mine yeah well good on him. that's awesome love it um okay so on this episode we're talking to dr sam cunningham uh dr cunningham is the president of the texas bighorn society and a uh, lot of issues in texas around uh disease they've got uh mycoplasma ovi pneumonia problem ovi as we all know about uh, same stuff we're dealing with here in BC and all across all jurisdictions as a general rule and in uh, Western uh, North America, certainly for bighorn sheep, not as much of an issue for thin horns. And uh, Sam really dives into it. And at the heart of Moby in Texas is Audad. So um, everyone loves to go and kill Audad. It's a great hunt. And the problem is, is there's too many of them. There's disease issues in Texas. Sam does the deep dive on this. We talk about what's going on with TBS. We're talking about what's going on with him. Uh, Sam is a great guy. Uh, really enjoy him. He, you know, we've done some work with him. We've do, done some swaps on donations and stuff. In fact, uh, Wild Sheep Society BC, our Wild Sheep Raffles is going to drop here next month. we got a cool lineup, and a part of that lineup is an odd ad hunt and a heli hog hunt, with, uh, and that's all done through TBS and working with Sam. And uh, so really cool. Um, We're really stoked about that. Uh, But anyway, this is a great podcast with Sam and you're going to enjoy chatting with this chat with him, but learn all about what's going on in Texas. So um, what's going on on the sheep front on the WSSBC front, Greg, what are we missing? Oh, we still have a couple of uh, raffles on the go right now. So don't forget your raffle tickets for the Danny Strong Platinum Hunter. There's $32,000 worth of prizes. We have the, the Sacco rifle on right now as well and then we're rolling into the women's shaping conservation event at the end of november so don't miss out on that yeah so lots of really cool things going on that that uh platinum sheep hunter package it's like you said thirty two thousand. it's got a gunworks nexus nexus rifle in there um so super cool and uh and then the women's shaping conservation event go to our website check it out it's on the homepage. click on it uh, we got a, we're doing a podcast there live, so you can come and check it out. You can chat with Greg and I love to see you there. And Hey, if you're down South, I know we got a lot of American listeners, jump in an airplane, come up to BC, come and meet our board of directors. Um, I will buy you a whiskey. I promise I will. So if you, if you fly in from out of province, 
I'll buy you whiskey. That's my uh, promise. Within <laughs> limits. I, it's caught, topped at 10, actually. I better be careful here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, watch um, out. Someone's filling up a plane and showing up, and you got 200 whiskeys to buy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Right on. Well, um, off to uh, the... What episode are we? 154, 155? This would be 155. With Dr. Samuel Cunningham, Texas Bighorn Society. Enjoy. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Yeti. Thank you Sitka Gear and Yeti for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. Well, good evening, Dr. Samuel Cunningham. It's an absolute pleasure to finally have you on the board here or on the um, on board here on Talk is Sheep. You know, we've been trying to put this together for a long time. We've talked about it now for, I think, a year and a half at least. And and this is a long overdue. So welcome to Talk is Sheep. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. To, great to have you on. So what's going on in your life these days? What are you what are you busy doing? Uh, busy with sheep, busy with work, busy hunting. What are you doing? Uh, a little bit of all of the above. Tracy and I just got back from Africa a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that kind of turned out good and bad. Good, she had a great time. Bad, now she wants to go back. <laughs> so, no, that went great. Did a an antelope pronghorn antelope hunt in New Mexico last weekend. Don't have anything else scheduled for a while. Just been working. Nice. So your trip to Africa, was that a safari? You going to harvest a bunch of animals or were you guys touring around? Uh, what were you doing over there? Uh, that, when, because she went, we did a little bit of both. Okay. There were three little species that I wanted to do for the to complete the tiny pin of those antelope. And so we finished that off and then did some touring around and saw some country. It was nice. Nice. And then you said you were chasing antelope and was it New Mexico you said last? Yes, or just, oh, where we are here in Amarillo, we're about. 90 minutes from the New Mexico border west, about 90 minutes from the Oklahoma Panhandle border north, and about 90 minutes to the Oklahoma, the Oklahoma, western Oklahoma to the east. So we're kind of right in the middle of the Panhandle. So it's kind of a short trip over. Nice. So there's some pretty nice antelope over there in New Mexico. Did you guys uh, get into some big bucks or what happened there? Uh, there were a few. Uh, the one I took was an old, old buck that had just all kinds of funky character on his tops. And so that that's what kind of led me to that one. And he was old and limping around and he needed to go. Yeah. You were doing your part for conservation and eh? taking <laughs> yeah, the mercy, the mercy harvest. Oh, it's good for you. Um, so I guess, Sam, for our listeners, um, maybe just talk a little bit about uh, who you are, um, where you're at, and uh, how it ties into the wild sheep conservation, if you don't mind for us. Okay, sure. Uh, I grew up in a small agriculture town about 30 miles outside of Amarillo. Uh, got involved in hunting and fishing from my grandfather, actually. Oh, probably about the age of four or five. He took me fishing. We went out hunting and things like that. He uh, he introduced me to conservation, which at the age of five, I had no idea what that meant. But <laughs> as he so plainly put it, he, you know, he I would watch him. He would do things and have me do things. And some of it didn't make a whole lot of sense, at the, you know, to a five-year-old. And I'd be like, hey, what, what are we doing this for? He said, well, you got to take care of the animals and where they live. If we don't, nobody will. And so that has kind of resonated with me my whole life. And so all of those early lessons have just kind of stuck with me. I will throw this disclaimer out there. Uh, my grandfather introduced me to the outdoors, but it was my grandmother that taught me how to shoot. <laughs> so are you a good shot or a bad shot then? <laughs> I'm a pretty good shot, I guess. I'll do okay. But, you know, we would be out on the back in there, out off their back porch with a, pellet gun shooting at cans and you know i couldn't hit anything my grandpa he could some man my grandmother she'd come out there in her apron and just i mean every time clink, clink, clink. so when my grandpa went inside i went and got her i said hey come show me how to do that <laughs> but she actually snuck back out there and she was the one that actually taught me how to how to shoot that is super cool so did she ever go out hunting or it was always just she just shot she wasn't a hunter uh she would go sometimes on some bird hunts okay. and things like that she was usually busy around the house 
so growing up uh in that small town did you what did you get out hunting what kind of stuff because texas is pretty uh pretty good for for game there's a lot of it and a lot around what kind of stuff it started did you out with uh bird hunting dove and quail pheasant that was always big then uh, big game stuff we have mule deer whitetail and pronghorn antelope all here locally and so all of that so your first, uh, kind of your first big, big game animal, was that with your grandfather uh, as well, or was that? Uh, I was with my father, my okay. grandfather. Uh, I'm trying to think. No, I think my, my grandfather had passed uh, okay. by the time we did that, but I did bird hunting and everything with my grandfather. And then... Awesome. So you kind of been a lifelong hunter, and then, you know, obviously it's really impactful, you know, at five years old. It's funny, Sam, that you mentioned that. Um, I kind of have similar, uh, memories of that with my grandfather. I don't really remember us talking actively about conservation, but I remember those early days and, you know, I guess the thing is, is we'd go drive around and we'd see all kinds of game and big bucks. And my grandpa was never in a hurry to kill any of them really, you know, it was, uh, and we always did get a deer at the end of the season, but it was kind of, I don't know, respect for the animals or something. I can't even really explain it, but it wasn't quite as poignant as yours where your grandfather told you about, uh, looking after things, but, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. No, he, he definitely planted the seed early on. Yeah. So how did that kind of manifest itself? So I guess before we kind of jump into that, uh, maybe touch base on, uh, where you're currently, you know, in your conservation world, uh, is your role as president of the Texas Bighorn Society and your involvement and how you got involved in all that stuff. And if, if you were involved in other stuff prior to that, yeah, I've been a member of DSC and uh, Elk Foundation uh, or Mule Deer Foundation and, and things like that. Uh, the way I got kind of involved with TBS is kind of a funny story was I uh, actually went on an ODAD hunt. We'll get more to that later, but it's kind of funny that my sheep hunting actually started with an ODAD hunt. Uh, up here in Paladera Canyon and thought it was pretty cool. And then I was in the office one day and a guy that was in the office to visit me was actually uh, a uh, member uh, worked for Parks and Wildlife. He was a biologist in this region. And so I got to talking to him and asking him about uh, wild sheep and things like that. And he said, oh, man, there's this organization called the Texas Bighorn Society. You really should get involved with them. I tried for two years to join the Texas Bighorn Society on their website. Man, it was horrible. It wouldn't <laughs> let me pay. It wouldn't let me join. I mean, it just, for two years, I tried that. And then finally, I went to the sheep show in Reno. And first thing I did is like, okay, I looked and found their booth and went in and went over and joined TBS at the booth in Reno. So I had to go to Reno, Nevada to join Texas Bighorn Society. <laughs> so that was one of the things that you could help fix a little bit with the organization. Eh? Yes. Yeah, so and when I became president, now we have a brand new website. It's very accessible. The You can join, you can donate. All of that stuff is very functional. All right. On. So tech the first things that I did was try to get that fixed. <laughs> That's awesome. So how long ago was that when you joined as a member? And then what kind of, where did you go from there? Sam? Oh, probably 10, 12 years ago was when I joined. Uh, I was involved. Then I was on the advisory board for two years, I think, and then on the board of directors for two or three years, and then been president for the past five years. Mm, also, awesome. served on the PBS scientific committee. Okay. So, how does that work? Um, I know it's, it, I'm familiar with Wild Sheep Foundations and Wild Sheep Society BC is a little different as well. How does it work in Texas for you guys with the TBS as far as uh the sorry the uh scientific uh scientific. report mainly what that is uh people would submit grants asking for money for projects and things like that and so there are three of us on that committee two real biologists and then myself I got put on there because I went to a board meeting and answered a bunch of questions about some of the science behind one of the experiments they were trying to do a uh, little background. I have a bachelor's in microbiology from Texas Tech University and then went to graduate school and got a master's and a PhD in molecular biology and then went on to medical school. 
So they they thought they should put all of that schooling to use in TBS, and so they put me on the scientific committee. Somehow they figured you you had something you could offer, I guess, eh? <laughs> well, that and it wasn't a real big ask from anybody else. Nobody else wanted the job. <laughs> but there's something else uh, to do in the organization, so I said, sure. That's fantastic, Sam. Um, maybe take us a little bit of through some of the stuff. I Now, I, I'm not really knowledgeable on the status of Bighorns in Texas, but I think Texas, the numbers were quite low, and there's been quite a uh, successful rebound in Bighorns over the last couple of decades. Can you talk a little bit of the, about the his, history of that? Sure. Uh, historically, you know, the desert bighorn sheep are native to, to Texas down in our Trans-Pecos area where the mountain, mountainous ranges are uh, in this kind of southern, southwestern part of the state over towards El Paso and along the border back to the east. That's kind of our, that's our sheep range. Uh, there's several different mountains. There's many, like 13 or 15 different mountain ranges down there that have sheep. Uh, historically, there was about 15 to 1800 sheep uh then kind of watching those decline they started decline after that area started getting settled uh the settlers brought in domestic livestock brought in net fences for that livestock uh then they opened uh, the railway from el paso back east and so there was a lot of commercial hunting and they'd load those trains up with pronghorn deer bighorn sheep and ship it east the uh everybody knows kind of about the decimation of the american bison up up in my area up here in the in the texas panhandle and on through the great plains but once those same hunters got done killing all the buffalo they just kept moving south and then they're the ones that really overhunted the bighorn sheep in texas the last and then they outlawed sheep hunting in Texas because the numbers were so low. And then the uh, last desert bighorn sheep that they saw native to Texas was like in the late 1950s, early 60s. That was the last ram that they found. And after that, they were gone. Hmm. So what did repatriation look like? How did that, uh, when did that start to happen and how did that take place? Uh, That started in kind of in earnest in the early 80s. Uh, there was two organizations. There was the Texas chapter of Fanaz uh, back then. And then there was also the, was it Texas Society for Bighorn Sheep or something like that. So there are two organizations. Uh, the state the state legislature asked Dr. Red Duke, uh, who was a famous trauma surgeon in Houston and an avid outdoorsman, big in Boone and Crockett, uh, asked him to be to kind of head this up. So he became president. He was the first president of Texas Bighorn Society. Um, And then it was just kind of put on private citizens who, you know, took all went to work, you know, you know, for that direction. Uh, One of the first things they did was they built some pins in the Sierra Diablos. Those pins back then in the early eighties cost like $200,000. And they were paid for completely by private citizens and members of Texas Bighorn Society. Some people even went as far as they went out and took out personal loans to help pay for that. So we built those pens, uh, got some sheep from different places. After after the sheep were extirpated in Texas and then went through all this and these organizations to try to get some sheep back in, uh, Texas got sheep from Nevada, Utah, I think maybe f- from Arizona, and uh, translocated those to Texas. That met with pretty quick failure. Uh, we had a predator problem, things like that. Kind of got that uh, sorted out. We built some pens uh, in the Sierra Diablo Mountains, uh, these pens were four 10 acre tracks and put some breeding pairs in there and let those start to propagate. Uh, those pens, like I said, were built completely on donations through private citizens and members of, of the Texas Big Home Society. Some, some of our members took out personal loans mm. to pay for those. And so 
had some success with those, turned some of those sheep out, and they did well. It was around that same time there was a man named C.G. Johnson, C.J. Johnson, that uh, donated a 20-acre, 20,000 tract of land uh, to Parks and Wildlife to be used for bighorn sheep habitat. And that is, that is now what is Elephant Mountain, Elephant Mountain Ranch. And that's kind of our current brood facility for, uh, for our bighorn sheep. Uh, those pens worked great, and we were able to take sheep out of there and put some over on Elephant Mountain, release some in the Diablos. Uh, towards the end of the of that, the the we there were some there were some problems with the pens. There was some disease in the pens. Predators were still able to get in, so they served their purpose well. But it was time to move on from from the pens. Hmm. So a couple questions for you. What year did TBS get established roughly that, that, that when Red Duke took over, Dr. Duke? That took was, over? I think, in 81. Okay. And, and then, then a few years later, the Texas chapter of Fanaz and the Texas Bighorn Society merged and became TBS. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Um, and then you talked about some of the predation issues and stuff. And you, so they, they, they brought the pens in, they put the sheep in the pens and and sort of, um, what was the intention of that? Like that was that was for breeding purposes, just to like yes, to, completely uh, maternity pens. Okay, yes. yeah. The uh, those pens, like I said, they were four ten acre pens with alleys in between, and then on the outside there were alleys around the circumference. Uh, by alleys, I mean there were there was a fence, and then an outer fence. So thinking that would keep predators out. Well. Sometimes they would find lions in that alley between the outer fence and the inner fence. And actually some of them were able to get into the inner fence eventually. Hmm. But they, so they the as well. did they do a bunch of predator management stuff to, you know, in the vicinity to try and give them a fighting chance or how did that work? Yeah. After that they did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> started working yeah. With that. Okay. Perfect. Um, you know, for some of our listeners, Sam, unique Texas is, pretty unique to most jurisdictions with the amount of uh, private land, right? It's almost, you know, what's the number? It's uh, like high nineties is private land, isn't it? Yeah. Like 93 to 97% privately owned land in Texas. Yeah. So that's, that's unlike, you know, lots of certainly in Western U S and certainly Western Canada for sure, where there's all these, these public lands that people have access to. So it's a bit of a unique circumstance in, uh, in Texas there. Can you, and I guess you talked about elephant mountain being that, that um brood uh range for these for these sheep is there any hunting on on elephant mountain or in the vicinity Actually, there is um there is an auction tag that the parks and wildlife give out every year in a rotation that's the one that you'll see in the auction at wild sheep foundation the one we have in our auction uh our our yearly fundraiser uh and those tags are actually for a ram on elephant mountain okay yeah that, that's usually where that takes place so now what of our what are our populations? I think you said historically there were seventeen to eighteen hundred in the early like pre extirpation. What are we kind of sitting at right now numbers wise? Then we got them back up to fifteen hundred. So we got them up to pre extirpation levels. And then here recently, the last say recently, the last five years, we've had disease issues just like everywhere else. And our sheep numbers have declined. In our last survey last year, there were some issues with that survey, but they were down to probably below a thousand so they okay grew. okay and what's uh what's the source of that disease is, is it again domestic issues or is there other things happening there what's the primary source of issues for them uh it's mycoplasma over pneumonia just like most places and the source of that believe it or not down in that country there's not a whole lot of domestic livestock sheep and goats there's a little bit along the border especially on the mexico side of the border and some of those little widows but on the Texas side, there's not a whole lot of that. There is, there is some, but it's not much. Most of the disease that over pneumonia uh, in Texas that's killing our our desert bighorn sheep is coming from Audad. Is that right, eh? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. You know, I, I certainly wasn't knowledgeable about this issue at all. And, of course, we had our uh, summit down in San Antonio, which TBS and yourself were the generous hosts of that event. It was great. It was uh not this past summer, the summer before. And, uh, you know, we became much more knowledgeable on it. But uh, let's maybe jump into that issue around uh, Audad and kind of uh, some of the struggles. And 
Um, you'd think it'd be an easy solution, but uh, I know that it's a very challenging solution. So let's let's dive into the issue for us, Sam. Please. Okay. Well, the Audat are non-native to Texas. They got here from uh, a private ranch in California and in New Mexico. And believe it or not, the Texas Parks and Wildlife are the ones that brought the Audat in oh, back in the 40s, maybe, to try to make it another game animal and possibly an extra protein source for folks. Um, they brought in a handful of Audat up in my neighborhood up here in Paldera Canyon and then put some down in the Trans-Pecos area. So we started out with like 16 Audad in the state and now we're up to probably 60,000. Wow. So the numbers have just exploded. You know, they have a great reproductive advantage. They, uh, the ewes can, can uh, breed at nine months of age. They often breed twice a year and most of the times they have twins. So you can see kind of that exponential growth just from that. Uh, there's been some recent population dynamic studies that were done, I guess it was a couple of years ago. And just looking at, at those numbers and the projections, they said to, to keep all that in the, at the level they are now without increasing them, but without decreasing, just keeping them in a steady state, you would need to kill 83% of the ewes every year. That's insane. So give me a quick see, number on. So if you're, if you got 60,000 and you'd say half are used. Yeah. So 40,000, 80% of that, that's, oh, yeah, that's over 30,000 that yeah. you're going to have to kill every. So every hunting is not going to solve the problem, is it? Thank you for saying that. No, this is not <laughs> something you're going to hunt your way out of. So, so what's the solution? You know, that's at least that's the one thing with domestic sheep. Um, there's fences, there's farmers, there's that, but it's different without that. So what, what are some of the things you're working on, Sam? Yeah. See, uh, there's a big financial component to this also, because probably everybody listens to this has either hunted all that in Texas or wanted to hunt all that in Texas. And so that's a big, uh, a, a big industry. All that are non-native. So there's no season. There's no quota. There's no tag requirement. All you have to have is a, is a Texas hunting license. You can hunt them 365 days a year. You can kill as many as you want. So a lot of the private, you spoke to how much of Texas was held by private land. Uh, a lot of those private landowners sell those audit hunts. You know, and they'll get $5,000 plus per audit hunt. And they can do that. You know, that's usually a three-day hunt. They may book it for five, but it's usually two, three-day hunt. And you can see the amount of money that can generate pretty fast. And so TBS is not at all opposed to that. You know, we're all about our landowners being successful. Uh, but you can see kind of the financial incentive to leave some of them alone. Originally, when this, we first kind of started talking about this, there were sort of three groups of landowners. One group. They'd have cameras up. Hey, there's an audit on my place. They'd tell somebody, come kill them. On. The ones on the other end, hey, I'm selling these hunts. Don't touch them. And then the group in the middle, and actually the group in the middle has kind of grown both directions. It's like, hey, yeah, I'm going to continue to sell these audit hunts. But when I'm not hunting the trophies, I'm going to start hammering on these ewes. And so most landowners now take that approach. And that that's actually helped some. Also, our parks and wildlife people, uh, they've been really great about uh, trying to get rid of them on on their public lands. In fact, just recently, the uh, Big Bend Ranch National Park, not the state park, but the actual national park, has set up a schedule where they're closing parts of that park and coming in and doing audit removal. Wow. And then they'll, so, open, that, they'll open that and then close another part and kind of go around that way. Any idea on sort of numbers that are killed every year that they are removed off no. the landscape? No, no idea. Not enough. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's kind of the number. Does it continue to grow significantly or is it kind of reached a level of stasis now? No, it's still growing like a running like a grass fire. Because, hmm. like I so, said, 80% of the use every year. Yeah. I mean, even if you say, hey, you know, we're going to pass a law. We're going to kill all the audad in the state of Texas. That's like saying we're going to kill all the feral pigs in the state of Texas. This is not going to happen. Right. 
Right. So what are some of the solutions moving forward? What, um, you know, obviously let's cure Moby. We'll start with that one. Right. But, uh, aside from that, what are some of the things that you guys are able to do? Um, are you guys doing some double fencing or segregation or anything like that? And, Certain areas. Some of the landowners are doing some of that. Like I said, a lot of the landowners uh, will pay, you know, out of their own pockets for aerial gunning to get rid of, to, to, to try to control those numbers. Like I said, the state does that also uh, to try to help reduce those numbers. The uh, Recently, we've done some audit surveys and some captures and testing for MOV. And I think they tested, oh, that first round, we tested seven mountain ranges. There was all that in every mountain range. And in those mountain ranges, 100% of the mountain ranges tested, some ODAD tested positive for MOV. A couple, the, I think the highest prevalent, prevalence was 65% positivity of the ones tested in one of the mountain ranges. So there's no getting away from it. So there's ODAD everywhere and there's disease everywhere. Right. So, um, like a, a place like uh, Elephant Mountain, is that is it out ad free? Do they knock knock them down there? Or that there's out there are there? some out there, but they keep a really close eye on that mountain and right. try to keep them controlled. Uh, I don't know if this would be a good time to talk about it. You know, our numbers are down, all dead numbers are up, diseases is increasing. You know, so we're kind of in dire straits. Uh, there is a mountain range by near El Paso, Texas, called uh, the Franklin Mountains. There's actually a Franklin Mountain State Park uh, that uh, historically, and I can't remember how many years ago, but in the distant past, actually had bighorn sheep there. There's no sheep over there now. Uh, they've done lots of flying and lots of ground surveys, and there's no audad in that mountain range. No. There's no sheep. There's no audad. There's been some graduate... Uh, some graduate students, I think from University of Texas, El Paso, and maybe from New Mexico that are looking at some mountain lion studies and they've had camera traps all throughout that park and haven't seen any mountain lions on their camera. The state, the Parks and Wildlife guys have gone in and put up additional cameras in some other places. And so far, there's no predators. I'm mm -hmm. kind of telling you this because, hey, we have a mountain range that don't have any on that, doesn't have any disease. And if there's predators, there's very little. So we're looking at translocating uh, sheep from Elephant Mountain to the Franklin Mountain State Park. Hmm. That's awesome. And, uh, and the parks people did a big public outreach and did surveys. And, you know, with all the people that use the park, the hikers, the bikers, everybody. And surprisingly, it was overwhelmingly positive response. People are, are completely behind that. Oh, that's that's encouraging. And so we're planning on doing that translocation uh, in January of 24. Okay. So with the, the source herd with the, and they're coming off Elef elephant mountain. Are, yeah. are they, are those tested pretty regularly? Is there yes. a disease prevalence in there at all? Or is it, have they been a clean stock? No, there hasn't been. Okay. Yeah. Knock on wood. So far there hasn't been. Of course we'll test. You know, all the ones we capture, we'll test and segregate before we translocate them to make sure there's no disease. Hmm. And I think this translocation is a pretty cool one because there's a bunch of funding partners. I think you guys applied to Wild Sheep Foundation for grant and aid. I think Midwest chapter kicked in. And then Pittman Robertson, is uh, they, they're doing a three-to-one match on it too, aren't they? Yes, sir. We applied for the Wild Sheep grant and aid. And Wild Sheep Foundation generously funded that. We got, uh, we're going to build two of our guzzlers on the tops of the mountains in that park. Uh, there were three or four of our chapters that pitched in to help pay for the guzzlers, which aren't included in the grant. And then the grant pays the translocation and collars and things like that. Uh, what kind of money does a project like that cost? I think it's 80 bighorns or something like that, Sam, I seen somewhere. Uh, the, the original goal was to translocate 80 from Elephant Mountain. Uh, the, the way that comes about is we look at uh, at the population on Elephant Mountain and kind of know that carrying capacity. So once it gets above a certain number, we know we need to take so many off to protect the habitat on Elephant Mountain. So it, so 
taking animals off actually helps preserve our our elephant mountain habitat as well so it doesn't get overutilized. But 80s, what we're looking at, it may be a little less the first time, but and then supplement it as it goes. But that that was the original ask was 80. So when they do a transplant like that, uh, do you, what are the breakdown of ewes versus rams and that sort of thing? Do you have those numbers? I do not. Okay, I was just curious. And you can edit that out, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. So you're 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 no further behind me or, or ahead of me. So, um, okay, so that uh, something like that. So you're going to move them to the Franklin Mountains. W- where is the nearest? How far is the nearest Owdad herd? Is it uh, you know hundreds of miles, tens of miles? Um, uh, if you go out of that, so the southern part of that of that park is basically the city limits of El Paso those mountains come right down into the to the city and the parks at the top and if you go north you go and you get to the end of those mountains and it sort of drops off into a flat that stretches for i don't know maybe 100 miles into new mexico and so the only mountains around there in texas that's the only mountains close to it in texas uh there's some audad in new mexico in the oregon mountains and somewhere else i believe but yeah. we've got that big flat area to monitor uh, the sort of the red zone. So if we see odd added that, they'll be removed. So you guys do the transplant and then uh, how often will that be surveyed and that sort of stuff? Is that going to be something that's pretty frequent and yes. does it have to be aerial or is there something you can do? Can you do lamb counts or sheep counts or anything like that? Yeah, they'll the- probably do both. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Um, okay, well, that's a that's a huge project, and that's a huge success story, and really exciting. So, um, but that that uh, give a little shout out to Wild Sheep Foundation. You know, kind of that mantra with the chapter and affiliates has been, you know, one campfire, mm-hmm. and I can't think of a better example of that philosophy than this project because other states have jumped in and helped. You know, fund our water projects and man, we couldn't do it without those partners and the wild sheep foundation. Like I said, generously is funding that, that grant in aid request. Uh, it's just, I don't know if anybody knows it, but there's a good chance wild sheep foundation just saves the sheep into Texas because of the better straits we're in with diseases. And if we get them over in there where there's no disease and we can get that established and make that a new, either a new or a second uh, source herd or brood brood herd, then that'll be huge for us. That is phenomenal. Um, what what kind of budget does that take? You're moving 80 bighorns, and I know, like we said, WSF's kicking in 280 or whatever that number is. What kind of numbers does it take to to move that? Is that the entire budget, or is it It must be bigger than that, I guess? Uh, the the entire budget, I think, was 300000 350000 something like that. A lot of that is helicopter time, uh, callers, and then, you know, the translocation, the helicopters are most of it catching, and the vast majority is is from that. So. Okay. So there's the plan to go into Elephant Mountain, they'll capture them, net gun them, capture them, and then fly them back down, and then are they going to trailer them, or how does that, how do they It'll get them? test back? them and make sure, you know, wait for the test to come back and make sure everything's disease-free. And then uh, that's a pretty long haul to fly them in a helicopter. So they'll trailer them and take them over on a trailer and turn them out. Wow. Are you going to be on the ground for that? Yes, I am. Wow. That's phenomenal. That. Yes. yes, I want to be. Yeah, that's the plan. I think so, because it's going to yeah. be a pretty big undertaking. Yeah, And you said January 2024? Yes, sir. Okay. Maybe I'll get lost in Texas then. I'd love to see something like that. Down. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. yeah awesome. Kind of the cool thing about that uh, park you know, you're like, well, you're going to trailer them, but you said they're going to be released in the mountains. How's that happen? There's a paved road all the way up to the top to the park, to the park huh. headquarters. So we can go all the way up there and then release from up there. So it's not like we have to release them at the bottom and let them find their way up. We can get them a head start up the hill. That's awesome. And the Franklin Mountain, that range, was that historic range? Were they, yes, are they extra? They, they are, yeah. They're historically, yes. Okay. And how's the predator situation? Have you guys been knocking stuff down in there? It looks pretty Uh, solid. Like I said, they haven't really seen a whole lot. They've done surveys and there's predator protocol in place for when that happens. Yeah, right on. Really nice part. The parch people were 
on board with all of that. Right. Yeah. Um, is Clay Burr involved with any of this stuff? I know he was on your board of directors and obviously board, involved in the Wild Sheep Foundation's board. Has he been involved with this at all? Yeah, we keep Clay involved in everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he's 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 been a big, big part of this, helping sort through some of the logistics and how to what we need to do and how we need to do it. So in a project like this, obviously you went to Wild Sheep Foundation for the grant and aid, other chapter and affiliates. There's the PR match. How does that collaboration work with government, um, with Texas Parks? Um, is it you guys work really closely together? Or you kind of they come to you and say, "Just get us some money." How does it work, Sam? I'm just wondering how something like that. Yeah, the, the Parks and Wildlife guys. I mean, they're they're our main partner, right? And we like to think we're their main partner. Uh, the way the PR match works is the state has X amount that they can apply for PR matching. And they're going to use this to apply for the PR match. And then what those those matching funds will come out and they'll go straight into uh, the Parks and Wildlife to the sheep account, to the sheep budget for the sheep program. So they won't be used for anything other than sheep and sheep related activities. That's awesome. So for our listeners, uh, I know there's a bunch of Canadians that listen to this and uh, the way it works in the U.S. And Sam, you'll, you can back me up on it or correct me where I'm probably inevitably going wrong here. But Pittman-Robertson is an act that was established decades ago, and it's providing federal funding, and they match three to one. So in this example, you you provide $200,000 in funding, you can get up to $600,000 on a federal match. And uh, it's federal money that's there for that purpose, and you just have to apply for it. And get once you get the approval, that money's theirs. Am I correct on that, Sam? 100%. Okay, so a fantastic program, a model that I'm envious of being a Canadian. I wish we had something like that. We have nothing of the sort like that here in Canada. So it's a, a great program that uh, to uh, find, I guess politicians put it together. It was uh, it was done politically. It was, uh, but they, they got together and they, they, and what's, any idea what that PR fund is? It's literally hundreds of millions of dollars a year. It's a big um, fund. Uh, what what kind of keeps that, that PR account or fund going uh, all money from federal duck stamps, hunting licenses. Uh, there's a tax on all firearms, ammunition. All of that money that that you pay goes that we pay goes into. There's a part of that that goes into that PR account. That's how they generate money for it. Yeah, it's awesome. And the cool part of that is that we can truly, in that case, say hunters are paying for keeping sheep on the mountain, looking after wildlife, and um, you know, we hear that a lot in the States. We kind of say that in Canada, but really we're doing a pretty bad job in Canada in, in comparison. Um, not even all of our, our tag sales go to uh, dedicated wildlife um, conservation. So it's it's pretty pretty unfortunate. And, and that's certainly a model that I respect and looked up to in the U.S. Yeah, in Texas, you know, we kind of don't like paying taxes. We do, but we don't like doing it. There's no state income tax in Texas. But anytime there's any sort of talk about taxes towards all those things I just mentioned or raising the rates, you know, the prices for a hunting license or this or that, man, hunters don't even bat an eye because they know where that money goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're going to pay the money they put in, they know that they're going to benefit from it because that's going to go back into conservation for our wildlife in the, you know, across the country, not just in Texas. Yeah, that's the tax you want to pay. If you're going to pay any tax, that's the one you want to that's pay. That's the one, so. yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right on. Well said, Sam. Um, okay, we've kind of talked a little bit about that. Anything else going on in Texas with TBS or uh, wild sheep conservation that you want to touch on? Anywhere yeah, I kind else of touched missing? on this a little bit. You know, we talk about uh, the sheep country. It is literally on the border with Mexico. And so, you know, you can work really hard on one side of the border in conservation and disease management, but if it's not reciprocated across that river, then it's not doing much good. Uh, recently, we've always worked with Mexico pretty closely, but recently we've started this uh, Texas-Mexico Desert Bighorn Sheep Border Initiative, where uh, we're raising some money to, to help the people on that side. Some of those little weedos that have some small bands of domestic livestock uh, some of that money goes to help educate them and help provide for healthier herds uh, for big time for uh, exotic control over there. There's a lot of 
all that on that side of the river, just as there is this side. Uh, our kind of our first, this all started in the last year, the last six months. At our last uh, fundraiser, we had a special hunt donated from uh, Mexico, and we put that in a raffle and raised $50,000. That was our first thing to, that goes into this program. Uh, just this month, we purchased some binoculars, rangefinders, and some trail cameras to for our partners on that side because those guys, they don't even have binoculars. So we've, uh, you know, we've started to try to outfit them some. We've also set some of that that money aside for aerial surveys. And Parks and Wildlife have set aside some money when they're doing our surveys. You know, in the state of Texas, once they get that done, they're going to fly some in Mexico and do sheep surveys, but also some audit surveys. And then a lot of it goes into education uh, for some of those Oidos and those villages and some of the, and some of the Mexicans. Uh, that live in that area, kind of educate them about all that and about bighorn sheep, and kind of go from there. Yeah, and on, right on. another thing that's that's trying to be done also is with some of this uh, the audad control on that side of the border. Uh, any of those audad that are taken, you know, if they're accessible, we'll get it and then give give that meat to those those villages and those widows. Hmm. Uh. Yeah, so that's it's kind awesome. of a, a big project. It's just kind of getting some traction with getting them some equipment and things like that. Mm, perfect. Now, with uh, the Wild Sheep Foundation, I know Clay was instrumental in setting up the Mexico Council. Yes. And uh, Emilio Wrangles on there, and um, the RTs are on there, and and a bunch of other great conservation-minded um, Mexican. Um, a lot of them are outfitters. Um, is that part of that program? Are they yeah, involved is, in that? This is all? a totally separate deal. This is just strictly along the border. Right. Yeah. Just right across the river. Right. In the so, Coahuila and Chihuahua, just in those two states, right along the border. So who's facilitating that dialogue? Is that something that someone on your board's doing, um, Sam? Are you doing that, or how does that work? Uh, there's been some talk, some communication back and forth, uh, you know, since – we decided that what, you know, what they came and what they asked us to do is if we could help them raise money. So, okay, sure. yeah. so we'll put stuff in our auction and everything. So that's kind of how we got involved. Uh, we raised money. We've got an account that has that name on it and that's all it's used for. Uh, okay. For Elon Hernandez, our sheep program director, he's been very instrumental in this. Uh, Alejandro with CMEX, Billy Pat McKinney with CMEX USA. Uh, they've kind of, started this they were kind of the ones that started this and alejandro uh is the uh, contact person he's kind of like i guess what you'd say the head of it now okay so if somebody wanted to support something like this um is there stuff you can buy people tickets by by tickets on the raffles or can people donate how do they get involved in something like that so? all the above we'll have another hunt uh this year at our at our uh fundraiser but you can now get on our website and donate money, which you couldn't <laughs> nice. do a couple of years ago. And uh, buy a membership. Yes, and buy a membership. Please do that. There's actually a place on there. You go under programs and it drops down and it'll say Texas-Mexico Border Initiative. You click on that and it gives you a chance to donate there. Uh, right on. Sounds great. Uh, anything else we need to touch on Wild Sheep-wise in uh, Texas before we jump ahead? Anything else you're working on? Well, I'd say that's those are two pretty cool initiatives, and certainly uh, kudos to you for doing a transplant. Like we we look at this, and that that's kind of the gold standard. Anyone that can do that, and you know, we're really struggling with disease issues here in BC. And when I look at what you guys are doing, and you've got two, you got a source herd, and you've got a destination, and they're both clean. That's pretty darn exciting. That's the hail mary right there. So that's, that's I'm excited for you. It. This is the hail mary. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, it's really exciting. You said January of 24. Yes. Okay, hopefully not during Sheep Week. <laughs> it, it's at the end of the month. Okay. I think it's, yeah. the last, it's the last week of January. Yeah, not not the first. Yeah, right on. Um, so how about you personally? So you've been at the helm there for five years. Uh, do you have some secession planning? Do you got some young guns that are coming up behind that are ready to take over the reins? Or are you uh, firmly in the in the driver's seat for the foreseeable future? 
we're trying to get some some of our young we when I became president, we had a board meeting and we just finished one of our roundups. That's our that's what we call our fundraiser. And everybody kind of made the comment of like, did you see all the gray hair in the room? <laughs> and we don't have any young people involved. And so we've been better about getting young people involved. We've got uh, some real go-getters, some young guys, Jim Breck Bean, uh, and uh, and Walker Netherton uh, from Midland. Those those guys are on our board. They're they've been active and really helping out. So we're trying That's to continue that trend. In fact, one of our board members, he's a board member, he's a past president, served on our board you know, for years, uh, named Robert Joseph out of Lubbock. And recently he said, I'm stepping down off the board because I want to open it up a slot for a young guy. So there's that kind of commitment from our organization to doing that. Are you finding there's a lot of young people that are, are interested in getting involved or is it tough to attract new, new blood? How does it, how do you find uh, actually, it? Actually, it's pretty easy. You know, some of those kind of, the age group you're looking for, I'm sure you've had the same problem. Some of those guys and girls are just starting careers, just starting families. They've got jobs they're trying to get established. And so they don't have a whole lot of spare time, but the time they do have their man, they give unselfishly of it. Hmm. That's awesome. So how about you? You've been at the helm there now for half a, half a decade. Where do you go from here? Are you, you going to, Stay in that role, or you got other aspirations. Uh, I recently got nominated to be to run for the board of directors for Wild Sheep Foundation, so my name will be on that ballot when it comes out. That's exciting. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. So, I think is was Dan Boone, was he a Texas? He was from Texas, he's yes, a former chairman of the board. So, yeah, no, no stranger to Texans running the show in uh at Nashville there. So, um <laughs> It uh, certainly would be in good hands having you on the board of directors there, Sam. So uh, talk a little bit about that. What are some of the things that you're thinking about uh, in terms of uh, national and being involved? I, I want to say, and I want to commend you and your team that we're in San Antonio for the chapter and affiliates in 2022, and you guys put on a darn good show. Um, you guys were incredible hosts, um, you know, phenomenal. San Antonio is a beautiful city, of course. And um, just really appreciate you hosting us there and all the great work that you guys are doing for, for conservation in the great state of Texas. Well, thank you. We had a good time. People were kind of questioning us like, well, why'd you have it so early? The chapter and affiliates, it's usually later. And it's like, well, have you been in San Antonio in August? <laughs> yeah. We had it in June. It was still pretty hot. Uh, we had a good time. I think it was pretty successful. Uh, a big shout out to Megan and Maddie and, all those staffers at uh, Wild Sheep Foundation, they actually, Megan especially, made that completely easy for for on our end. Well, it was pretty cool. You know, it was a lot of great stuff. And uh, we didn't get out in the field to see any sheep, but we got to uh, tour the Alamo and just the San Antonio is just a gorgeous city. It's unbelievable how... Um, how pretty that city is. I really enjoyed being down there and, and hearing about the issues that you guys are having and... Uh, but uh, no, that's that's really encouraging, and uh, yeah. So the Wild Sheep Foundation, the I think the elections are opening up uh, October fifteenth is when the dates are open up there, and um, and uh, we got a really strong slate of candidates. So I was I was really excited to see on the ballot, Sam, and looking forward to um, to to hearing and seeing the great work that you can continue to do for Wild Sheep. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so before we sign off, before we let you go, what's, what's the plan for the rest? I, you have any hunts planned for the rest of the, the fall here or, or things slowing down for you? You going to go out and chase them out at around? What's the plan? Uh, no, for the, uh, for the rest of fall, I'm just kind of working. It's right. kind of a busy time of the year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, you know, you hear me talk about all dad and the evils of all dad and, you know, the disease <laughs> and all that stuff we just went through, but kind of back to, the first part of this podcast, you know, I went on an audit hunt down in Belvedere Canyon, and that's kind of what got me interested in, oh, man, if that's that cool, what would a sheep hunt be like? And so that's kind of how that took off. So I can't say they're completely worthless because they did get me involved in sheep. 
or more involved <laughs> chief, I guess I should say. That's awesome. Uh, now, let where are you at on your sheep hunting resume? What uh, talk us through that? What have you been hunting and what have you harvested? Uh, finished my finals. Nice. In twenty eighteen, I think it was. Okay. Since then, I've gone back to Mexico and I have my four sheep and then one more desert. Nice. So where did you hunt your stone sheep at? Where was that hunt done? In the Yukon. It was a Yukon hunt. Okay. Yes. And your doll, where'd you? Doll was in Alaska. Okay. Who was that with up there? The doll. Yeah. With, uh, Mike Colpo and Lazy J Barrow Outfitters out of Wyoming. Nice. Nice. I mean, excuse me, out of Montana, big timber, Montana, not Wyoming. Okay. And your bighorn, where was uh, your Rocky? Where was that? In Alberta. In Alberta uh, with uh, Carter Outfitting? Uh, it was with Dustin Rowe with uh, Backcountry BC and Beyond. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that was that a pretty extreme backpack hunt? Because that's kind of the stuff that Dustin ends up doing in that uh, in that country. Or did you guys yeah, were on it, horseback? Well, or what did I you thought know? it was. He probably didn't think it was much. But yeah, <laughs> I thought it was pretty extreme. No, it, it was. It was. It was a. It was a good hunt. Yeah, got a nice ram on like day nine of a ten day hunt. Nice. We, worked, we walked and worked and climbed and you earned it. I, I swear, if Dustin Rowe takes his boots off, there's hooves inside those boots. <laughs> yeah, I think you're I right. Those mountains. Yeah, and how about your desert? Where Where'd you get your first? Uh, well, the desert to compete in southern Bahamas. Okay, nice. Yeah, with Dustin again down there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when you think back now, what's, which hunt of the four stands out, which one's the most memorable or means the most pick, you can pick either one. Was it, it was getting your finaz? Was it a specific hunt? What kind of comes to mind when you think of it? I mean, they were all special in their own way. You know, getting that fourth one was, was pretty exciting, especially getting it on day nine of a 10 day hunt. Mm-hmm with full backpack kind of deal that that was pretty special yeah yeah for sure so you talked about you've got your uh, a fifth you got the um uh the desert uh any other aspirations you heading up in the north country for something again or what's the plan yeah i I would like to i don't know kind of thinking about it i haven't made any definitive plans yet right yeah well, and it's kind of hard to get a, your hands on a sheep hunt these days too. I know uh, some guys are booked out till twenty nine. I think it's yeah. uh, it's pretty crazy, but uh, you know there's still some around. But I, yeah, it's, it's not like there there's a lot hanging around. So yeah. yeah, awesome. Well, Sam, I I want to thank you for taking the time to to talk to us tonight and to bring us up to some really important issues about what's going on in Texas and. Um, I I have to admit I feel bad, but I'm not a life member with you guys, so that's on my priority list. And to be honest with you, a few times I've gone to, you know, I I'm always trying to pick up a life membership uh, at these auctions when we go to CNAs or maybe right. a cheap show or something like that. And TBS is always so bloody expensive. Everyone wants a membership, so I guess I'm going to have to just stop being such a cheap uh, guy and just go on the website and buy one. And apparently, you can buy them on the website these on days. On the website so. now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, but anyone that wants to support, how do they get involved, Sam? What can they do? Uh, just get on our website. It's TexasBighornSociety.org. There's contact phone numbers. Not email the office email all that stuff is on that website now awesome <laughs> yeah right on and the fundraiser if somebody wants to attend and yeah, support the and come out. this year is going to be in odessa okay texas uh we've never had it in odessa you know where are our sheep like i told you the kind of the area where our sheep are our members are from everywhere else in the state like i'm at i'm as far away from sheep country in texas as you can get and still be in texas up here in Amarillo. Uh, so we try to rotate our banquet around the state, you know, to different places to try to make it easier for people instead of having it in one spot all the time. This year, it's going to be in Odessa. This year, it's only a Saturday night. In the past, it's been a Friday and a Saturday. But this year, it's just going to be uh, on a Saturday night. Awesome. Well, let's uh, – oh, what's the date? Sorry. Uh, Roughly. Middle of June, the first or okay. second weekend of June. Okay, awesome. Fantastic. 
All right. Well, Sam, I want to thank you for taking the time tonight to talk to us and uh, wish you guys all the best. And what we're going to do is I want to get you back on the podcast right after your capture because that's uh, okay. Love there's going to be that energy and you're going to be, you know, um, just amped up about it. And I want to hear all about it and okay. um, really, really excited for that. So we're actually uh, we've got uh, one of our partners that has made some videos and stuff for us in the past. Uh, Claiborne Myers is going to uh, come and he's going to video all of it. We're going to put together a little documentary on it. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, some of the things, some of the, actually some of the questions you've asked me about history of TBS and all that stuff will be included in there. I think he's planning on interviewing a lot of people, some of the original members of TBS. Nice. Well, when you get that put together, let's share it over with us and we'll share it out with our listenership too. That'd be awesome. So awesome. Well, Hey Sam, thank you so much. And, uh, Look forward to seeing you. I guess we'll see you in Sheep Week in uh, in a few months. It's not too far away now. It's get close every day, and uh, yeah, and just wish you, time. yeah, wish you all the best, and thank you for all you do for wild sheep and wild sheep conservation. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the podcast. I enjoyed it.